This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andreu. Precisely one year ago, Russia escalated its war with Ukraine with an all-out attack from several fronts. Although some sort of further incursion had been expected, the size and breadth of the assault seemed to take most of the world by surprise. Many pundits said Ukraine would not last the week. But in the days that followed, Ukraine mounted a superhuman defence. So sure had Putin been of his success that parade uniforms were reportedly found in abandoned Russian military vehicles. One year on, President Biden was able to visit President Zelensky in Kyiv. My guest today is a journalist and writer whose reports have been a frank and humanizing corrective against the tendency to think of this conflict as just pieces moving on a chessboard. She's a fellow at the Reuters Institute in SEPA and has devoted her career to debunking Russian misinformation. Welcome to the bunker, or I should say welcome back to the bunker, Olga Tokariuk. Hello, and thank you for having me. Olga, on that first day, you tweeted, history is being made now. I am proud of my Ukraine. In those dark early days, was there a part of you that feared this was a losing battle, or did you always believe? To be frank, no. Actually, you know, I'm still wondering where, like, that confidence that I had from the very first in- days of invasion, of full-scale invasion by Russia was coming from. But I was confident, and I knew from the very first hours and days of the Russian full-scale invasion a year ago that Ukraine will resist and that Ukraine eventually will win. I observed as a citizen and I reported as a journalist on how Ukrainian uh, civil society and the state institutions were strengthening in all this recent um, 10 to 15 years. And I could see uh, that spirit of freedom and spirit of commitment to Um, the values of uh, democracy and human rights were getting more and more stronger with every passing year. And that gave me confidence that Ukrainians will not just give up on those. Ukrainians have been fighting for these values in two revolutions, a revolution, the Orange Revolution of 2004 and the Revolution of Dignity nine years ago. And I knew that Ukrainians will resist whatever Russia might have in mind and, you know, whatever attack Russia might launch on Ukraine, that there will be strong resistance. What is the the status of the fight at the moment? My impression from watching the news report is that there is a sort of stalemate, that Ukraine right now has enough to resist, but not enough to push Russia completely out. Uh, what's, what's your uh, impression of what you see? Yeah, I think that's a 
pretty accurate assessment, uh, Russia has been trying to advance in uh, Donetsk region around Bakhmut, but the city is still holding. Uh, it's been referred to in a Ukrainian public discourse as Fortress Bakhmut, and there was recently even a song issued with this title because of the heroic resistance of Ukrainian soldiers in this town in Donetsk region. So uh, Russia is suffering heavy losses during these attempts of uh, an advance of an offensive in Donbass, but Ukraine is also suffering heavy losses trying to, to defend. And unfortunately, for the moment, as we speak now, Ukraine does not have enough means to launch uh, further counteroffensives as it did last year in Kherson, in Kharkiv region. And that's why, uh, you know, those weapons that have been promised to Ukraine just in recent weeks uh, of uh, West tanks, of more ammunition, of uh, uh, long-range uh, artillery and missiles. Uh, Ukraine really needs them in order to advance and to liberate its land, just like it did uh, last year in Kharkiv in Kherson regions. And uh, at the same time, you know, while the focus is understandably in what is happening in the east of Ukraine, in the in Donetsk region, because the main battles now are there, I think what is being overlooked, but which is not less important, is that how Russia is treating uh, Kherson, the liberated part of Kherson region, because Russians are still occupying um, a part of it, the left bank of uh, Dnipro River in uh, Kherson city and in Kherson region. And while they were forced to retreat from the right bank, they are pounding with artillery almost on a daily basis, the, the part that is currently under Ukrainian control. And this is really heartbreaking to see the casualties, civilian casualties every day in that part of Ukraine. Has the information flow in and out of uh, Ukraine um, been restored largely? Can you speak to your wider family there? Can you watch the news from uh, the state broadcaster there? Do you get a good quality of information here? Because I would imagine, you know, if, if I were in your position, one of the most difficult things to deal with would be to have wider family still there and not be able to sort of get constant news um, that they're okay. Yes. Uh, well, most of my family is still in Ukraine. I'm just here in the UK with my daughter and all the other relatives, my husband, they are in Ukraine. In fact, we are able to communicate without any problems. And the situation has been improving, actually, in the last weeks compared to um, the beginning of winter or last months of autumn, when because of Russian attacks on Ukrainian energy infrastructure, there were a very long blackouts and there were interruptions with mobile connection, with internet connections. Uh, so now uh, the situation is much better, not because there are less Russian attacks. There are still Russian missile attacks every week on Ukraine, but because Ukraine has improved its capability to defend itself, uh, the air defense, as I mentioned previously, was strengthened also to the support and the provision of air defense systems by Ukraine's Western partners, but also because Ukrainian emergency services are working remarkably efficiently and very quickly managed to restore the broken uh, electricity supply lines or connection lines. Uh, so I am able to both both uh, speak to my relatives in Ukraine and also to receive news from Ukrainian sources. I'm listening to Ukrainian radio stations on a daily basis. That must be a great comfort, right? Absolutely. And that's actually one of my goals also, because, you know, although I'm abroad now, but 
I want to be connected to Ukraine and I want to lose touch with what is happening there. And it's absolutely essential for me as a journalist to be informed, to be still in that uh, context, in that media and information context. And you mentioned the state uh, broadcaster or the public broadcaster. Curiously, in Ukraine for this past year, there was a united TV marathon when major, six major TV stations, including a public broadcaster, they united their efforts and their newsrooms to produce 24-7 news and analysis content, also uh, in order to mitigate Russian disinformation efforts. I'm actually not taking my news from that source because, you know, uh, there are some issues that during a year of broadcasting of this unified uh, uh, broadcasting, it has become seen as pretty much controlled by the government and only a source of good news. So I'm trying to diversify my sources. Um, I'm listening and, and uh, you know, reading mostly independent media to get a full picture of what is happening in Ukraine. Olga, from all those things that you, you hear uh, and see, is there a sense in your mind that people are sort of adjusting to a new normal because they think this will go on for a very long time? Or is there a, a sort of prevailing hope that th- this war could be resolved quite quickly? I would say both, that people uh, still uh, do very much hope that uh, the war will be over soon and it will be over with Ukraine's victory because otherwise it won't be over. It will be just a temporary pause before Russia attacks again. So a lot of people are working to make that happen. And I'm not just referring to the military who are risking their lives to to defend Ukraine and to repel uh, Russian attacks, but also civilians who have been, you know, involved in a very large scale volunteer effort by donating money to uh, the needs of the army, but also uh, f- supplying, for example, uh, combat medics with the medical kits. This is something that Ukraine still experiences an acute shortage of, you know, maybe something that is not very much reported about in the West, that there is not not enough uh, tactical medicine kits to save lives of Ukrainian civilians. So uh, there are um, charity organizations that raise money for this purpose because Ukraine is not receiving enough of this as a, a part of the package of support that it gets from, from other countries. And in general, you know, the, also the, the sentiment in the population that uh, those people who decided to stay in Ukraine, that uh, if we are staying, we are supporting the economy because we are spending the money here in Ukraine. We are uh, buying things, we are paying taxes. So in this way, we also try to support Ukrainian economy. And I think actually many Ukrainian refugees abroad, they try to contribute in this way as well. So they send money home or they uh, buy things in Ukraine for their relatives, for their families, so that they contribute to the Ukrainian economy, to its um, stability in in this way. Uh, However, um, it's also true, as you said, that a lot of people have accepted the idea that this war will probably last long. It might not be over this year. Yes, people hope it will be, but they are more and more ready and realistic that it might not end this year and it it will be a long struggle so also the resources and the energy should be managed in order to win this marathon to endure not to be broken not to be defeated morally so i think yeah there is that awareness as well 
How important was the symbolism of President Biden visiting Kyiv on, on Monday? It was extremely, hugely important. Well, of course, it was a big surprise as all the visits of foreign dignitaries to Ukraine in the past year. For security reasons, none of these visits are announced in advance. Um, There were rumors from early morning on Monday because of the closure of central Kyiv to traffic that some big guest is expected. And there were rumors circulating that would be the U.S. president because he was on his way to, to Warsaw, to Poland. And it was speculated that he actually might might visit Kiev as well. So, uh, yes, when those photos emerged of President Biden walking with President Zelensky in central Kiev next to St. Michael's Cathedral, next to the frescoes of uh, the 12th century, and then next to the wall of remembrance with the portraits of Ukrainian soldiers who have uh, been killed in this war since 2014, those images had a very profound and, uh, uh, you know, encouraging effect on on Ukrainians because uh, they've demonstrated that we are not alone, uh, that, um, you know, Ukraine's uh, friends and partners are next to us. They are behind us. They are walking with Ukrainians, visiting sites that are recognizable and very symbolic for for all Ukrainians. Um, so seeing President Biden paying respects to Ukrainian soldiers, to Ukrainian protesters who were killed on Maidan exactly on the day of his visit nine years ago, um, had a very profound symbolic uh, importance because you know, those events, the killing of Maidan protesters and the, the, the war that Russia launched as a response, they changed the course of the history of Ukraine and I think not just of Ukraine. So seeing U.S. president on, on that day, I think, you know, the date of his visit was very important. Being in Kiev, standing next to Ukraine's president, saying that the U.S. will support and that the West and the, the world will support Ukraine until its victory was, you know, super important. It's it's hard to exaggerate the importance of that. I'm curious, um, are Ukrainian people also conscious that visits to Ukraine sometimes are used for domestic political reasons by foreign leaders, or is it always seen as a kind, generous and honest thing? No, well, of course, I think, you know, that Ukrainian people are quite realistic and they understand that both sides have an interest in uh, in this visit and in this meeting. So especially, you know, you probably remember last year, all the and even this year, all the frequent visits of Boris Johnson to, to Ukraine, <laughs> former UK Prime I didn't Minister. want to mention, I didn't yeah. want to mention Johnson, course, but it's of difficult course Ukrainian to avoid it. <laughs> were uh, very happy, but then of course they heard, you know, maybe initially they were surprised when, you know, uh, Brits were telling Oh, he's well, here again. <laughs> he's, he's using it for the message for domestic reasons, for his domestic, you know, political uh, motives as well. But then I think, yeah, people in Ukraine kind of started grasping, you know, the, why was he doing that? It was not just for Ukraine, just for this pure um, altruistic reasons of helping Ukraine staying with Ukrainian people. And they started making jokes about that as well. So, yeah, I think there is this awareness. But on the other hand, you know, while, yes, uh, there is an awareness that uh, the West and the US and the UK, they support Ukraine because it's in their own interest, but there is also an understanding, a very clear understanding that, well, Ukraine only has this allies and, you know, it's the only way. So um, Ukraine has to 
kind of appreciate their presence and be grateful and uh, work to build, to develop this relationship, to make it even closer to, you know, eventually see Ukraine as a part of the EU and NATO. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. What about Poland? Uh, I mean, it has been at the vanguard of helping in every way. Do you think it gets enough credit or, or does the fact that it is much closer geographically make its stance seem more self-interested and maybe the fact that Dudek is not the most fashionable leader among the West? Uh, I, I'm often surprised at how absent it is from being congratulated for its stance on, on Ukraine. Yeah, I, uh, I think that... Um uh, probably in the international press and in discourse in general, Poland doesn't get enough credit for its efforts to support Ukraine. But I think inside Ukraine, um, there is an appreciation and there is a, a very, you know, strong gratitude, feeling of gratitude towards Poland, also because of, of Poland's openness to Ukrainian refugees. It uh, it has the highest number of Ukrainian re refugees than uh, any other country and um, many Ukrainians who are there, they of course exchange, you know, their experience. They talk about it with their relatives who are in Ukraine and they express, you know, their, their gratitude in this way. So I think there is an awareness and the among general population of how much Poland has been doing to support Ukraine and the attitude also, I think, to some historical spats that uh, were there between Ukraine and Poland is changing, that there is uh, uh, now this kind of uh, and this mutual understanding, I think, both in Poland and, and in Ukraine, that, you know, we should not focus on those dark pages of history. We should look into the future together, overcome our differences and walk together because we have the same enemy and the same threat. But I agree with you that Poland doesn't get enough credit uh, globally for its effort. And I, I know that it, it causes some resentment inside Poland and among Poles who are a bit upset about this fact. And sometimes they react also um, to uh, some statements of Ukrainian officials in a way, you're focusing maybe too much on, on tanking the West. Uh, but I think it's a good thing, you know, it's... Uh, we are both democratic countries, so it's good that there is this debate. Yes, it, it's a complicated puzzle for sure. Um, now, Putin made a speech on Tuesday, uh, which left, I think, no room for misunderstanding. He sees the complete subjugation of Ukraine as the goal and even implied it does not end there. Do you think Ukraine, through military means, could ever find a way to peace with Putin still at the helm in Russia? Or are we looking at really regime change for the situation there to be resolved? 
Well, it's a very complicated question, but definitely um, until the nature of Russian regime doesn't change and, you know, until whoever is at helm, it may be Putin, Putin may be deposed and there might be another hawk leading Russia tomorrow or the day after. Uh, so it's more about the nature of the regime and about the imperialistic vision of the world by the Russian regime that sees Russia's neighbors as, you know, not real countries who do not have a right to be sovereign, to have their independent policy, to exist even. So until that changes, I think there is no possibility of peace in in the region. And I think, you know, the fact that a year into this devastating war that had very profound negative consequences for Russia itself, that the fact that Putin's rhetoric doesn't change, it tells us a lot about this mentality and this vision that is has been so deeply rooted in in Russia that is not just coming from from Putin but it is supported and it is shared by a big part of Russian population as well it's a very difficult question how can we change that and how to bring stable and durable peace because as i said even you know if there is some sort of peace settlement soon but the regime in Russia doesn't change. And, and the, this imperialist vision at, in the Russian society and Russian leadership doesn't change. I, I'm afraid that there will be just a pause in, in the war, just a temporary break, a lull in fighting. And I think also the threats that are being made by Putin, not just to Ukraine, but to other countries, other countries that Russia sees as part of its sphere of influence, such as the Baltic states or Moldova, um, we should be taken seriously because uh, for too long... We didn't take the threat yeah, to Ukraine seriously, I think. E- that's exactly. Just, you know, ov- overlook the, those threats as, as something that is just rhetoric. But no, that's Russia is actually telling and announcing its intent uh, very openly. So we should take those words seriously and, and react, not, not just actually react to the deeds, but react to the words, react preemptively. I'm Rob Hutton, and I grew up watching war movies with my dad, but my kids just don't get it. So I had to find someone to watch them with me. And that's me, Duncan Weldon, and I do get it. So I was only too happy to join Rob and guests such as Al Murray, Helen Lewis, and Satin Sangara as we rewatch the greatest war movies of all time. So join us on War Movie Theatre to talk about classics from Where Eagles Dare to Zulu to The Sound of Music. That's War Movie Theatre, wherever you get your podcasts. You described 2022 as the worst year of your life, but also one that made you even more proud to be Ukrainian. To wrap this up, I know what you hope for this year, but what do you realistically expect? What should we look out for as a sort of stage post, as a milestone for things moving in the right direction, do you think? You know, was it realistic or did many people abroad consider it realistic to expect that Ukraine will resist and will not fall to a Russian invasion a year ago? So I think the word realistic is irrelevant here because this war has demonstrated that impossible or things that we thought would be impossible are possible. So the atrocities that Russia are committing in Ukraine were sort of, you know, something of the previous era, something that was seen for the last time in Europe many, many years or decades ago. And yet 
they happened. You know, Russia is deliberately murdering civilians. It is kidnapping Ukrainian children and bringing them uh, to Russia, separating them from their families. It's uh, committing uh, rape, loot, and other uh, crimes on a massive scale. Uh, so the unthinkable has actually happened and the impossible has also happened in a way that Ukraine was still able to resist and to fight back and to reconquer its territories. So I don't want to be realistic, you know, call me idealistic, call me naive, but I believe that Ukraine will be able to win this war and to regain control over all of its territories and most importantly to bring its people back from the occupation because we are not fighting for the territories we are fighting for a decent life for the dignity for the chance for the better future for our people for our children and you know i've been through uh, several revolutions in ukraine and many things that i've done in my life that people told me this is impossible this is not going to work I know that with some effort, with hope, with faith, it is possible to achieve the impossible. So I don't want to be realistic. Olga Tokaryuk, thank you so much for your insight and for the fire that so obviously burns in you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Remember, there's a new bunker pretty much every day. So if you like our work, you can support our work on the funding platform Patreon for as little as £3 a month. Just search for Bunker Podcast Patreon. Let me leave you with a fairy tale made up by Olga Tokaryuk's seven-year-old daughter. Once upon a time, we were in Ukraine. Ukraine won. And instead of Russia, there was a sea of peace next to it. This is Alex Andreu in the bunker saying over and out. The Bunker Daily was presented by Alex Andreu. The group editor is Andrew Harrison. The lead producer is Jacob Jarvis. With additional production from Kasia Tomashevich, Jack Gerbertson, and me, Alex Reese. Our marketing manager is Gene Richard. Music by Kenny Dickinson. Art direction by James Parrott. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Mm-hmm.